that we look at and we think, how can these things happen? There is so much evil in our world today. There are so many people that do things that just shouldn't be done. Um, there are just a couple of, uh, you know, I could, I could mention a host of them. And you'd think, oh, yeah. Um, just from the little six-year-old girl that went missing in Rock Hill just this past week, and then she was found dead, and uh, just other bizarre and, and just evil things. And then we were here, and we're talking about and, and singing about a holy God, and, and he is, and we think, how, how do these two things go together? When there's sickness and death and cancer and people hurting and in pain. But we're not the first generation to sense that. We're not the first generation to question that. The exiles that were back in the land here, this small nation of Israel underneath Persian rule, Things weren't going the way they expected, and they were asking those same questions. That's what we're going to look at this morning at the end of Malachi chapter 2 and through the first five verses of chapter 3. And you'll see this passage again, which, um, that the chapter and verse divisions, of course, are not inspired uh, they were added in the 1550s, but verse 17 actually doesn't go with uh, chapter 2 and what we just talked about last week that ended with uh, verse 16, but it actually goes with the first five verses of chapter 3. So that's why we are going to begin reading with verse 17 of chapter 2. So if you're willing and able to stand and honor the reading of the word, we will go ahead and do that. <clears throat> Malachi the prophet is sharing the words of the people and then God's response. He says, you have wearied the Lord with your words, but you say, how have we wearied him? By saying, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or, by asking, where is the God of justice? Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me, and the Lord <clears throat> whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, and they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord." 
Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and as in former years. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker in his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. Father, thank you for this, your word. Help us now to honor it with understanding. But Father, more importantly, that we will obey it, that we will transform our lives through your Holy Spirit, not on our own effort, but God, that we would be changed when we leave this place in a way that is more pleasing to you. We ask and pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Where is the God of justice? People ask that question. Today, they were asking it thousands of years ago. And the, the people here were saying two different things or, or saying that God was uh, either it changes standards, evil was good now, or he just was unaware. So the first principle we need to see, and this affects how we worship together, having a proper understanding of the Lord, God is not to be condemned by his creation based on circumstances. So that's what they were doing. They were looking out and they were seeing things that weren't right. They were seeing some of the people that were supposedly God's people, they were seeing them do things, sin, evilness, wickedness, and they were doing okay. They were doing okay. Matter of fact, they were prospering. And then some of them who were trying to live as best they could for the Lord, they were being oppressed. They were struggling. So they were wondering, God, have you changed your standards? Have you, have you now flip-flopped and said good is evil and evil's good? No. No, he says you, you've worried God by saying that. Not that God is, can be physically exhausted but it's, it's put in human terms for us to understand. But they were saying these things about their God. They were attempting to paint God as unfair. So, and, and notice that they're using the covenant name for God here. In the Lord. In uh, most of our English Bibles, the covenant name Yahweh is seen by the capital L-O-R-D. That's not the generic name for God. That's the covenant name for God. This is the one who chose them. We talked about that early on and loved them and did all these things for, and promised them things. And he had been faithful to them. And so they're now accusing their covenant God of just all of a sudden being arbitrary and changing things. And actually saying he would delight in that. 
And the prophet is saying, that, that's crazy talk. You're just wearying God by that kind of talk. And some didn't want to go that far, so they just asked, well, where is the God of justice? We, we know God is holy. We know God is good. But where is he? We're not seeing him. And I think that's where a lot of us fall. We're, we're looking for the God of justice. We're seeing things that are not right. We're seeing our culture turning what was wrong in, in celebrating it. We're celebrating sin in our culture. And we're just wondering, where is God? Where is the God of justice? Where are you? Don't you see what's going on, God? And so this response that Malachi, or the God's going to give through Malachi, is very, very important for us. But we need to remember a few things about God. One is, very importantly, He is God and we're not. He is the one, Isaiah 57 tells us, that He's the one who inhabits eternity. He is the one, in Isaiah 55, who says that your thoughts are not my thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. He goes on to say, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. We, we, we can't comprehend him. Yes, we're created in the image of God. He tells us that in Genesis 1, 26, 27. But we're creatures, and we don't have the right to question who God is and what he's doing and how he's going about doing it and when he's going to do it. We want to, but it's important for us as believers to have the correct view of who God is. And when we start looking at our circumstances, whatever they might be, and some of us are going through very difficult circumstances, I don't question that. But we don't have the right to accuse God of wrongdoing because of our circumstances. We have on our banners here about loving God supremely. And that's what we want to do. That's what we're focusing on this year as part of our vision of becoming more of a disciple-making church, of a church that is in love with God, honors Jesus, and is out there in the world doing ministry and mission and sharing the gospel, and it starts with loving God supremely. If we're going to do that, we have to know who he is. And he is the God who he's revealed himself to be. We need to quit judging him by our standards. See, that's what the people were doing, and they were frustrated. And as long as we try to use our standards to understand God, we are going to be frustrated. He's God and we're not. That's a simple thing. But how many times we forget that? We just, we just forget it. And we need to remember this. This is 2 Peter 3.9. I'm going to actually, uh, instead of just reference it, I'm going to, 
I'm going to share this because here's the thing. We who know Jesus, we who are saved now, redeemed by the blood of Jesus, we weren't always. We once walked in darkness. We rebelled against the holy God. We did things our own way. We were not righteous. And think, think, because we forget this, think about if God had judged us in our sin and required justice from us when we first rejected him. There's not a single one of us that, that, under, that came to faith in Christ the first time we heard anything about Jesus. We, we, we have rejected him before we surrendered to him. 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. When we see things going on in our world today, what is our thought toward them? And yes, there's evil. Yes, there's sin. Yes, there's people that are wicked. What's our heart cry toward them? Boy, I hope they just burn in hell. I mean, I'm just waiting for God to drop the hammer on them. Should that be our heart? Shouldn't be. It's not up to us. Vengeance is mine, thus saith the Lord. I will repay. God granted us grace. We don't deserve, see, we don't deserve heaven. We don't deserve forgiveness of our sins it's grace and that same grace that we received those of us who know Christ it's available for that vile wicked person that's out there right now doing wickedness and our prayer should be that if it's not us if there's somewhere outside of us our our realm but that somebody shares the love of Jesus with them. And for those who are in our sphere of influence, our heart should be that we would live Christ to them and share that repentance and forgiveness is possible because justice is coming. And that's the second part of this. God will bring justice to this world, and he's doing it through the agency of the Messiah. That's what verses 1 and 2 in chapter 3 are about. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way for me. In context, we know that's John the Baptist, the messenger of the Lord. And then the next part, and the Lord, this is the Messiah whom you seek, will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming. So God will have justice. He's going to execute justice on this world. Make no mistake about that. He's not unaware. His standards have not changed. 
And he's going to do this through the Messiah. But I want you to see this, what the prophet says to them. I say, you, you, you say you want this. You say this is what you want. But look what verse 2. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? Now I'm going to be talking about the two-phase coming of the Messiah, the first advent when Jesus came to this earth 2,000 plus years ago. But there's a second one. It's in the future. And see, they, they didn't see the, the gap. They just thought all this was going to happen together. But what is that day going to be like? Well, he, he tells them, you think you say you want this, but you need to know what's coming. Amos 5.18 Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. Why would you have the day of the Lord? It is darkness and not light, as if a man fled from a lion and a bear met him, or went into the house and leaned his hand against the wall, and a serpent bit him. Is not the day of the Lord darkness and not light and gloom with no brightness in it? Joel chapter 2 verse 1. Blow a trumpet in Zion, sound an alarm on my holy mountain, let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming, it is near. A day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness. It's going to be judgment coming. And the day of the Lord is going to be a great and terrible time. The prophets prophesied that. I read two of them. Isaiah 13.6 is another. Jeremiah 46.10. After that judgment will be peace and prosperity forevermore. But there's judgment coming. Now we... In our time, remember, this is the last book of the Old Testament. In, in the Old Testament itself, the prophets spoke of this day of the Lord, and, and they didn't so much go with the, the depth. They were just, it's like if you think about two mountains, you can see the peaks together, but you can't see that deep valley between them. That valley for us has lasted 2,000 years. That first peak was the first advent of Jesus when he came. And he came to the temple. And he purified the temple. He, he drove out the money changers and the wickedness. And he brought some judgment. But he brought a message of hope and love and grace that we might be ready for the second advent whenever it does come. And we know that Jesus, and they couldn't see this completely. They could just look forward like in a mist, but we see the whole picture clearly. We, we can read about John chapter 1, verse 29. As the Baptist saw Jesus coming and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We have that message. Grace. So 
these people were aware he was coming and they knew when he was coming the first time the the prophecies were there daniel 9 24 25 pinpointed his arrival micah 5 2 talks about jesus coming to be in bethlehem zechariah 9 9 talks about jesus entering jerusalem on a donkey at the Hosanna time, the, the, the palms and entering in his triumphal entry. All that was prophesied. And he told them that, that there would be a messenger. And in that scripture that Jerry read to start from, from John 6, John the Baptist came and was that messenger. And he talked about the light. He said, I am not the light, but I'm bearing witness to the light of the world who's coming into the world that we might have life and hope. And grace. And it happened at exactly the right time. Galatians 4 4 says Jesus came at the exact right time. So he showed up in his first advent, but John also tells us, we see this in John chapter 14, verse 3, where Jesus said, I will come again. He's coming back. Now, we lose sight of that, but he's coming back. We don't know when, and we do know this. You, you read about it. He's coming back for judgment. This is a time of grace, but when he returns... It's going to be a time of judgment. It's going to be that darkness and gloom. So the last point of this is God provides grace through Jesus for those who trust him. All others will receive justice through justice. See, verses 3 and 5, Malachi says, He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will, he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold. Now, I'm not, I don't know much about metalworking, but I know from what I've read, it involves pressure and heat. And you, you, when you put that piece of metal, whatever it is, and you subject it to heat and pressure, it starts to change, changes shape, and it also starts to melt. It's, it's broken down. But in that process, the impurities are removed, and what is left is a pure product. For those of us who are believers, our judgment, our purification happens now in this walk of life. We have hardships. We have struggles. But what God allows into our life is filtered through his hand of grace that we might ultimately be more like Jesus. That's his goal. That we might be conformed to the image of Christ. So, don't be alarmed, don't refuse, don't fight against the refiner's fire. Even though we don't understand it, his goal 
is to purify us. His goal is that we might depend more on him and that we might be more like Jesus. And something about human nature, I don't understand it, but we grow more in the hard, difficult times than we do in the easy times. As I've said many times, I think as a nation, as a church of Jesus in this nation, we are getting ready for purifying fires of persecution. And it's going to be hard. But at the end result, Jesus is going to have a pure church. And that's what he's after. And we will be able to bring offerings and righteousness to the Lord. And that's what he's looking for. But that last verse 5, this is for those who are outside of Christ. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker and his wages. And the press is the widow and the fatherless. Against those who thrust aside the sojourner. Against those who do not fear me. This is not an exhaustive vice list, but it's characteristics of those who do not reverence, do not fear the Lord of hosts, who are not trusting in his provision. Unbelievers. We know also from the New Testament that the end result, we see it in Revelation 20, verses 11 through 15, there's going to be a judgment, a final judgment, the great white throne. And those whose names are not written in the book of life will appear before the great white throne. And at that point, it's too late going to be cast into the lake of fire so there will be judgment there will be justice now here's the thing no one will receive injustice no one there's going to be those who are outside of christ they're going to receive justice they're going to get an opportunity to pay for their own sins it's going to take an eternity because they've sinned against the holy god they get justice. We, who deserve that same fate, get grace because we're covered by the shed blood of Christ. So you're either in grace, trusting Christ, or you're outside and you're facing justice. But no one will get injustice. That's an important part to know because God is a God of justice. So as, as we come to a close for this service, I want you to think about that. As much as what goes on in this life that we don't understand, we can know that God will make all things right because there is coming that just judgment. Jesus is coming back. Now, the question to you as an individual is, how do you look at his return? 
Is it something that excites you? Is it your blessed hope, as Titus 2.13 says? Because if that is the case, living in light of the return of Jesus should have the effect that said in, in Titus 2.12 that, that that event will help us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present. Living in light of the return of Jesus for the believer should be something we anticipate, that we look forward to, and it should make us more like Jesus. So this morning, maybe you just need to pray as, as our musicians come, as Mark comes, for the believers that, that, that we just remember that God is God, and even though we don't understand, can't, can't figure things out, we can trust Jesus to take care of things. And we can focus on just being more like him. But for this other group of people, and you may be out here, I want to speak to you. Some of you may look, if you, if you think about the second coming at all, that day of judgment, you, you, it doesn't give you a good feeling. Matter of fact, like Hebrews 10.27 says, it, you have a fearful expectation of judgment. As part of the ministry of the Holy Spirit, Jesus told us in John 16 that that's what he does. He convicts the world of sin and righteousness and the coming judgment. If, if you are being convicted that you're not ready to stand before God, on that day. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. That's conviction from the Holy Spirit. You need to respond to that. You need to trust Christ. You need to quit living for yourself. And you need to find that grace. Because there's not a single one of us who can answer to God on our own merits. We either have Christ and we're in his grace or we're going to receive justice. Those are the only two options. But we are in the time of grace. Jesus has come. He has been. He is that Lamb of God who has taken away the sin of the world. And he came that we wouldn't have to face things on our own, but that we could trust him in the finished work. Don't, don't, don't resist the Holy Spirit. If, if, if God is calling to you that, hey, you're not ready and you need Jesus, let this be a time where you repent and trust Jesus with your life. You can't do it on your own. None of us can. We need Jesus. Father, I thank you for this service. I thank you for your word that assures us that you're in control. God, we, we can't understand it, we don't, but that's a great thing. We don't have to understand it. We can trust you. And Father, I'm thankful for that day that you convicted me as a young man that I was not ready. I was not ready to face judgment.
and I needed a Savior. I needed Jesus. God, I thank you that you came to me. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for saving many of these who are here. But Father, God, help us to have the heart that, that, that you say in your word that you're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God, help us to have a heart that prays for those who are outside Christ that they might come to faith in him. Oh, Lord, you have your way and will with us this morning. Lord, help us to respond to this message in a way that is pleasing to you. We ask and pray it in Christ's name. Amen.